You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay Simsick and Krista Williams. (sighs) (sighs) I feel like I've heard so many breaths on Instagram lately. Much needed. Much needed. People, everyone's breathing. Yeah, <laughs> they're getting on Instagram to breathe. Yeah, literally. <laughs> they're like, "Hello." They're everyone. like, "Wait, I can't breathe. I'm losing my breath. I need to go. Al- I need to go live. <laughs> I need to go live so everyone knows I'm breathing." <laughs> and we're one of them. We're we're totally yeah. going live and loving Making it. Fun of myself. Um, but it's been wild. Pe- people are going live more than they're posting. Of course, which yeah. Is, it's it's been it's cool to see, but. I, I also have had like some Instagram headaches that I've needed to take care of. Yeah. I I was on it a lot. Now I'm not, I'm back to not at all, but it's, I just am I literally, I'm a hundred or nothing with I Instagram. Know. I'm all in and I'm like, Q and A. And then the next week I'm like, do I exist? I'm I not sure. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I'm even there. Um, but hopefully you guys are, you know, noticing your consumption, being mindful of it as you always do. You guys are always right on point with whatever's happening and how you're feeling. And I really, really appreciate that about you, that you're so mindful. Yeah. And we hope you're doing well. We know it is a very different time, an intense time. Um, A lot of things have been changing, whether it's related to your work or your family, health, and just like the everyday has has changed a lot. So we just want to send you a lot of love and compassion because we know it can be overwhelming. And that's that's okay to feel. You know, we've been talking a lot and we actually talk in this conversation today about allowing yourself to feel that sadness, feel that fear, feel that depression. You know, there there are moments that although are hard, actually hold a lot of purpose if you allow the feeling to move through you. Yeah, it's, you know, as we enter and exist within this collective pause, it's interesting to, to see the ways in which people are running out of ways to avoid looking inward, looking at themselves. You know, when that boredom starts to creep in after you've watched everything on Netflix or read every <laughs> caption on Instagram or watched every live, it's like, what next? And I think, you know, I was talking about this before with, it's been fun to see what people have now started to do, which were things that they probably wish they would have done before. Painting, gardening, you know, connection with family, all of those things. So I would just be mindful of, of noticing when we're feeling like we want to be distracted and try to anchor in whatever that feeling we are potentially trying to escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I talked about this in my last solo episode, but I've been making a, like, I've been meaning to list, like just having a list where it's like no pressure, but I'm just like, oh, I have 30 minutes right now. Like I've been meaning to, you know, 
clean that drawer or, or create a piece of art like you did the other week. Like just having that at the ready where you're instead of going to the phone or to the usual, you can be like, oh wait, I've been meaning to do that. Cause oftentimes I forget. I totally forget what I've been meaning to do. So that's been really, really helpful. And that's a lot of the reason why I'm excited to do the life edit course Mm -hmm. so people can have more resources to do a life edit during this time. I think I had the life edit solo episode and then I wrote about it on my blog. But I think that now more than ever is a time where we can do a full life edit while we're at home. And a life edit means looking at your life very honestly in all areas. So that's home, relationships, digitally through technology, how you're showing up online, what's being, you know, what's showing up on Google when they search your name, what are your emails like, what do you subscribe to, all of that. And then there is like physical stuff as well. So really taking an honest look at all aspects of your life and what you could change and what feels like it's not a fit for you anymore as we go into, you know, hopefully better time soon. Yeah. But yeah, really excited about that. So honored and excited about the episode today. It is truly a dream to have Marianne Williamson on the podcast. She is one of the greats. She is one of the most impactful activists, authors, spiritual leaders of our time. And she has made profound impacts on my life even before meeting her today through all of her work. And I am so inspired and um She's just one of those people that's like an unshakable force that I feel like is so refreshing during this time. You know, she's one of the people that is like fully anchored in the the feeling of the moment and the truth of what it is that we need to do. And her activism is one that I look to for inspiration seems like a light word and it's more like what I what needs to be done. It's more like a calling to action that needs to be had. So we are so grateful she came on the show today and we're really excited to share this conversation with you. Yeah, there's so much to unpack. I mean, I I'm kind of it's wild that we're talking to her now. So during this time on earth, it's also um, in the wake of her, you know, run for president. So she was campaigning and it's just a re- very interesting time. And I just felt so anchored, like still in her truth. And it was really beautiful to understand like the inner workings of what was happening. Cause I do think, you know, if you turn on the TV and you see Marion Williamson campaigning for president, like there was a lot of media coverage that painted her as you know, whether it's a witch or like the anti-vaxxer thing. Yes. The anti-vaxxer thing was huge. And that was not true. Mm -hmm. So I just, I love that we could have a very grounded conversation about that. And yet her, like she has not lost steam in wanting to help humanity and wanting to inspire the world and namely, you know, America to look at the ways in which we can truly create change. You know, it's not just like covering and moving on. It's really about like looking at our history and seeing how we can forgive, how we can make amends and do right by everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's very 
practical in the 3D. It's like this is actually acknowledging what is happening in all of the systems in place that aren't working and that aren't working for so many and that, you know, we need to really evaluate and look at. So during this conversation, we talked a lot about, you know, her choosing to end her um, campaign for presidency, what that process was like, what was really hard about that, which I felt like was such a a beautiful human part of the conversation that I loved. We talked about um, the chronic disengagement in politics that we continue to see today and why we are all so disconnected from politics. And we talked about things that she learned about herself and, you know, who she is today through her presidency run. Mm -hmm. We also talked about how, you know, as women, like we have this very strong responsibility to um, step up right now and in so many ways and in, in a feminine way. It's like the the world or our country needs to be mothered. You know, like there is just like this very masculine uh, structure in so many different areas, whether it's politics, you know, financial world, what, what have you. And so it is really our responsibility to be like, no more, like, uh-uh, we are not tolerating this anymore. And then we also talk about that feeling that a lot of us might have, which is like, how am I going to help? Like, how does this make a difference? And who am I to do this? So we really dig into the psychology there, which I thought was so, so interesting. And we also just talk about, you know, this time being a time of so much fear and why as human beings, we tend to contract into fear rather than step into be and look for the light. So I just... I was insanely inspired. I mean, yeah. I was she, like, keep going, please. She, she brings you like, she makes you stand up straight. Yes. You stand the fuck up straight. Mm-hmm. So we are so grateful to Marianne for joining us today. We are grateful to Ryan Weiss for connecting us, mm-hmm. um, dear friend of ours. And um, we are really thankful for you guys joining in. I know that, you know, you have a lot on your plate. You're doing a lot. You are managing a lot emotionally. So to you know, give yourself this time to get inspired and feel connected is really important. So thank you so, so much. I want to talk about a few things that we're excited about before we get into this episode that are coming through from Almost 30. Yes. First, uh, we are very excited about a new digital series that we actually launched uh, with our good friend, Jenna Zoe. It was a human design workshop a little while back, and we are continuing to create programming that will support you in in so many different ways, whether you know it's through astrology, using astrology for empowerment and learning about your purpose and learning about yourself or really getting down and dirty with your finances and getting real and getting organized and feeling like that is a part of your wellness that you have on lock. Um, so with people like Nicole Lappin, we have Natalia Benson for astrology. We have Peter Kelly on deck. We are going to talk all about new earth and our role in it. We also have Milana Snow that we just had, which was so powerful, a healing as well as a Q&A and and workshop session all about how you can be your own healer during this time. Yeah, this is called the New Paradigm Digital Series. So while we sit in the space of looking to the world that we want to create, this is all about bringing these new paradigms to life through these digital workshops. So almost30podcast.com will bring you to the page where you can find 
all information about these workshops happening on Saturdays in the upcoming two months. So these are going to be very powerful, come together in community, use this time wisely to learn and connect, and we cannot wait to support you. Cannot wait. We also have created inner peace. So this is a program that Krista and I have worked worked on because over the last, you know, three, four years, we've really understood the power of creating inner peace, uh, maintaining inner peace and how that's helped to reflect a world back to us and an experience back to us that is also peaceful and clear um, and grounded. So we we poured our hearts into this and are really, really excited to share it with you, especially during this time so that you can navigate this and anything else that comes your way with just a sense of peace, calm and knowing. So this program lives both digitally on Teachable. So you can do it there, um, takes you through meditations, journal prompts, uh, ritual creation, uh, and more. And then we also have a PDF downloadable version so that if you want, you can download it, print it out and have it in your hands and use like pen and paper to go at it. But we're really excited. Yeah, it's really beautiful the way in which we we did this and I'm really, really proud of it. And my my hope is for everyone to have peace and have that inner peace that you guys all deserve as your birthright. For more information on Inner Peace, the program, you can go to almost30podcast.com and to join our new Paradigm digital series, you can go to almost30podcast.com for more information to buy tickets for that workshop. We are so excited to support you. And let's get into this episode with the lovely Marianne Williamson. You can find Marianne Williamson on Instagram. She's one of my favorite people to follow. It's M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E, Williamson. And you can also find her books everywhere books are sold. Return to Love is one of my favorites, but she has so many that are very helpful and impactful for this time. Truly. Her newest book is A Politics of Love. And I didn't know she also... In 1997, she wrote Healing the Soul of America, which I think is also very, <laughs> I mean, very timely. Um, but we love you all. Thank you so much for listening and share this episode with anyone that you think it would help resonate with. Um, and if you share on Instagram, tag us, we'll reshare and tag Marianne as well. But thank you again for joining us. We're here for you and we'll see you on the other side. We just felt like we had so many questions, so many doubts, and like, you know, school and even our parents really didn't prepare us for this transition, which we felt like was so important. Um, and as time went on, we realized how serious we should be taking it. And so we just started a conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And so we realized that we weren't alone and we have a, a community all over the world who um, joined us, joins us in these like very honest conversations. So um, they're so excited to hear from you and um, our friends, Ryan Weiss and Stuart Pierce um, have just obviously talked about you at length and we've been big fans for a while. So it's just um, a beautiful, a beautiful moment in time that we can really kind of connect and, and move and grow through what's happening on the planet right now. No kidding. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. And you're, um, you know, what you've been doing on Instagram and social media, even when you were through the campaign has been so powerful, but your reflections and thoughts have been you know, very helpful for Lindsay and I. So everything changes every day. I feel like the timelines are getting kind of funky within 
um, the world right now. I would love to just hear, you know, from where we stand today, how you're feeling about the current climate and um, how you're feeling about the collective. Well, we're obviously not always in control of our circumstances. This is certainly uh, one within that category, but we are in control of who we choose to be in the space of the circumstance. And there is a lot of opportunity within this danger. That's what the word crisis means in Chinese. It's danger and it's opportunity. And this is a kind of forced global pause. America is a very adrenaline-driven society. We move around a lot. And that movement contains a lot of creativity, ingenuity, productivity, but it also contains a lot of avoidance. We avoid sometimes looking deeply, the discomfort involved in looking deeply at underlying dynamics, both in ourselves and in our society. So we go do something instead. We jump out of that moment because it's a moment of discomfort. And we always pay a price for that. This is just a dramatic example of the price that a society and the individuals within it pays when a lack of wisdom, a lack of reflection, a lack of depth has prevailed for too long. Many of us, and I I think, I know I'm included, I would assume you're included, millions of us are included, find this an uncomfortable time. But if we're honest with ourselves, the situation is so much more desperate for so many people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were 40 million hungry people in the United States before this. Today is rent is due. We're taping this on the first day of the month. There are millions of people who don't know how they're going to pay the rent and eat. This is depression level horror rushing at millions and millions and millions of people. So I think all of us have to tend to the deeper emotional and psychological issues in our own lives. And I think, I know I've seen this in my life, I think you'd probably agree because other people have some of the conversations we've had with people are deeper more authentic, more truth-telling, more forgiveness given and received. It's a a real moment Mm -hmm. in a society Mm -hmm. predicated too often on the unreal. Mm -hmm. Too many ultimately meaningless preoccupations dominate our lives. Now, you, as two American women who have a platform, I think it's important for all of us to remember there is actually no vortex on the planet with greater potential for global transformation than American womanhood. There, it is immeasurable the kinds of changes that could and would occur if enough American women said, you know what, this is, this is crazy, this is, this is going to stop now. So when you have in our country alone... of all Americans controlling more wealth than the bottom 90%. When you have the level of income inequality that that means, what it translates into in practical terms 
is 40% of all Americans who were unable to deal with an unexpected $400 expenditure even before this happened. So this is a catastrophe, not only in the lives of sick people, it's also an economic and social and cultural catastrophe in the lives of millions of other people who don't even have the virus. Mm. But it didn't come out of nowhere. I think that's what we really have to face. And the horror of that, this, what, what were we doing thinking that that kind of skating on thin ice, what were we doing? You know, because this was, is a pandemic. It could have been anything. It could have been a nuclear catastrophe. It could have been a weather catastrophe. We were too close to the cliff on so many levels. So this will end. The issue is who are we going to be? Who, who are we transforming into so that we can recreate our civilization on the other side of this? There is a lot of talk with which I agree about spiritual awakening and about uh, how something good could come from this. Absolutely something good can come from this. I believe that with all my heart and soul. But something good coming from it, at least in the immediate sense, is not guaranteed. Something good will come from it if we choose that, because one of the reflexive possibilities is that what could come from this would be even worse than where we were when we came in. So all of that is just to say, this is a moment for deep thinking. It's certainly not a moment of any level of poor me. It's painful. Okay. It's painful. Got it. You know, <laughs> I've, I've always, you know, I have gone against the grain with a lot of people uh, uh, saying, why do, we, why do we make things sad? Like it's such a bad thing and everybody needs to rush and do whatever it is. Like there's something wrong. American women have been depressed because we know in our heart that something is wrong. This is a depressing situation. This is a depressing situation. What you have to do when it's a depressing situation is be depressed. Mm. What you have to do when a situation is horrible is to, to live within the horror. Now, a lot of people say that will paralyze. No, it won't. And in some ways, it will make you strong. Our grandparents went through World War II. Our, our great-grandmothers marched for suffrage the civil rights movements abolition we this we need to put some grit with our grace here and in a way you know it's like they say you can be bitter or you can be better this can toughen us in ways that that make us better too many american women and this is the whole thing about you talk about turning 30 and all that you know sad in return conversation the issue is whether you choose to be an adult whether you choose to be mature. We've had too many women in America staying stuck within a gestalt of a girl and too many men in America staying within the gestalt of being boys. It's like we've had a crisis of adulthood. Mm. And women, not only such as yourselves, but so many millions of people out there, this is our time to own our power by using it on behalf of, of others. Mm. Yeah, you say depression can be a sacred initiation into the journey of enlightenment. And that, you know, can be can be now. And 
you know, a lot when you're talking, it is right now, I feel like more than ever, we're co-creating the future. So we are creating the future. So like you said, we can create something that will inherently end up being positive for the collective. And then on the opposite, it can be, you know, more horrific than we could ever imagine. For practices that are practical for the audience to really understand what exactly they can be doing to co-create the future that we would love to live in, you know, the new earth future, what would you suggest for them? Well, first of all, it's not really like we have more of an opportunity than ever to co-create. We are always co-creating. We co-created this. I'm not saying we co-created the virus, but we co-created a situation where so many millions of people in this country are vulnerable in ways that we should not have been. We have been co-creating. You're creating, whether you're creating consciously or unconsciously, every thought we think is co-creating. Yep. Now, the practical steps, you know, it's interesting because Americans are very good with a to-do list. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? But sometimes a situation is as much about rethinking it as it is about doing something different. And part of that, you know, it's psychological, it's emotional, it's intellectual. You know, we're, we're, there are limits to what we can quote unquote do on a practical level, although there's a lot we can do. There are a lot of organizations you can be part of, things in our communities, online, etc. like you're doing your podcast. But there are also some important movements we have to make. What can you do? You can look deeply at the places in your life where you haven't been, where you might have been, and atone for your mistakes. You can forgive people. It's time to forgive so that you can drop that baggage so that on the other side of this, you, you, you're not carrying it. You can make amends to people that you know you need to make amends to. You can call on people who, who need your help to check in. And I'm sure all of us listening are doing that right now. You know, we're all, you, you, there's a lot to do every day just checking in on people who, who just psychologically and emotionally and sometimes even physically need to have someone call and who loves them and say, are you okay? Right? I mean, I think that I'm saying, you know, saying what's so obvious to all of us. Also, I think that this is a very important time to hone our political and social and economic understanding. I wrote a book called um, A Politics of Love, I have it here, here in the fall of America, but I'm one of a gazillion authors who have written books and uh, that sort of explain how we got here. And I think whether it's in our personal lives or in our collective lives, sometimes we need to know how things got the way they are in order to figure out how to unravel the problems. And meditate, of course, more. That's first and foremost, because if you meditate, you we have to take care of our nervous systems now as much as we have to take care of our physical bodies. And that also is part of taking care of our physical body because it has to do with our immune system. If all you do is watch television all day, uh, watch TV news, which I think some people are doing, all they're doing is reporting on the level of the disaster. We need our immune systems to be very healthy right now. And fear does not help your immune system. So everything we do that's inspirational reading, that's uh, communion and communication with others, the things that we can do that are sharing love, that are being here for each other, that are meditating, that are reading inspirational literature, um, that's putting out good stuff to those around you, 
These are the practical things. And I think each of us in our own hearts know when we are in a place where if you wake up in the morning and you say, may my life be used today in service to humanity, service to all living things. May my hands and my feet and my mouth, my tongue, my brain in ways that we don't necessarily on a, in, during normal times. You know, there's a gospel song, use me. Just ask that God use your life. Ask that love use you as a and the practical things to do will just, there will be a barrage of practical ideas every mm. moment of it. I love that. You know, talking about fear, like quite literally when I think about being afraid, I, I my physical body like contracts and I'm just thinking about why as humans we would rather be afraid and would rather kind of not face our own power and own light. Like what is, what is that gap or misunderstanding about ourselves? I mean, I mean, your deepest fear quote is, is one of your most famous (laughs) and, and one that I think about often. um, And I kind of have to recite it to myself in small moments where I'm choosing that fear over that love and expansion. So I just love to kind of pick apart the human condition to contract into fear. That paragraph uh, to which you refer is a paragraph out of my book, A Return to Love. One of the things I'm doing right now on Instagram, as you probably know, is reading that book. So this is the deal from, from a metaphysical perspective. It's not so much that we prefer the fear. It's that it's a perverse comfort zone based on the fact that it's a mental habit. Now, if, if, if you want to get into the metaphysics of it, what the Course says is, You were taught from the time that you were born that you are not who you actually are and that you are who you're not. You were taught that you are a limited being separate from the rest of life. It's like there's a part in the quote of miracles where it it compares it to you're like a wave in the ocean thinking you're you're separate from other waves. You're like a sunbeam thinking you're separate from other sunbeams. Now, that belief that you are separate, one word that you can use to name it is the ego. Now, The ego wants to preserve itself. So if you fall into complete love and power, guess what? The ego dissolves. So the ego says, no, don't go there. It's dangerous because it's dangerous to the ego. So the ego says, no, you'll die if you go there because the ego will die. Mm. So we're confused about who we are. And so we are afraid to relax and surrender into the truth of who we are. The thinking of the world is completely upside down. It says it's a spectrum all the way from it's dangerous if you go there to who do you think you are to go there? Mm, Yes. Who do you think you are to be powerful or you'll be endangered if you are so surrendered? Really, in that total surrender is where your power lies, and the ego has no no power there should we just enter that space. Where there's light, there can't be darkness. Where there's love, there can't be fear. So you wake up in the morning and you say, all I want to do is be a channel of love today. The ego's machinations will have much less power over you. They won't have room in your psychic house, because if you're filling your house with light, the darkness just isn't there. All the darkness is is the absence of the light. 
that feeling of who am I to is so real. And I heard you speak, I believe it was on Oprah Super Soul, but it was this idea of shining your light so others feel that they can too, and they can expand into that too, as an example. And it seems so simple, but so much of like my childhood was like not shining because I just didn't want to make other people feel uncomfortable or less than. Can you unpack that that idea of why it's so important, especially for women during this time, to step into that power and light? This is this very serious feminist issue. We have, particularly over the last few years, really glorified victimhood and really glorified victimization. So there's almost this unconscious trend to give love to someone if they're a victim and to say, who the hell are you if you're not one? Damn. Wow. So it puts you in a funny position. Because if people can see that you're weak, they'll put their arms around you. You stand up and say, actually, I'm great. Because your whole being says, because through the greater glory of God, I got something to say. <laughs> Slap you down, bitch. Who do you think you are? And we get that as much from other women as we get it from men. Let's not kid ourselves. A hundred percent. the truth. So... That fear is, I will be less popular. Mm -hmm. I will not be loved. I will not be approved of. I've got to just have enough weakness going on so people won't hate me. Mm. But it's a real deal with the devil because what, if, so if you do show up in your full glory, there are going to be people who are going to not like you for it. And the two of you are a perfect example. If you're privileged, white, attractive, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, but it's really important. And I think one of the things that's happening with coronavirus is it's a great equalizer. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, uh, uh, we're not, you know, this, we have become way too much identified with specific categories of victimization in our culture over the last few years. We're all equally vulnerable now. And that's a good thing, actually. Mm -hmm. So when you do stand up, in what you think of as your, to the best of your ability and your strength and et cetera, there will be people who are threatened by that, but there will be other people who, until you do that, won't even want to know you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you attract to that level. It'd be interesting to look back through history too, like where, if there can be certain situations that can attribute to that, to us pulling women down when we are feeling like we are shining too much or oh, yeah, history is filled with it. First of all, yeah. start with position and burning women at the stake. Yeah. I mean, women who were burned as witches, you know, the, the whole term, witch came from, uh, it was a term that referred to women who were called the wise women. That's what the word, witch meant. They were the women who were herbalists. They were the women who were healers. And most importantly, they were women who held rituals that kept aloft in Western consciousness a sense of divine partnership between humanity and the earth. Now, the early church wanted to destroy that pagan culture because it was ushering in a new dispensation, which was that instead of humanity being partnered with the earth, humanity, theoretically, according to them, was given to God had given the earth to humanity to use for humanity's purposes, which was the beginning of the environmental crisis right there. What those women represented in the pagan cultures were, were uncontrolled women. 
were, and and anytime a system uh, wants to seek control, it feels the subconscious or even conscious need to suppress an, uh, 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 to the wild woman, to suppress a woman who owns her power, to suppress a woman who owns her own authority and her own authorship. And this is not only something that happened in the past, this is something happening as we speak in many societies around the world. And we know this, but we need to like really know it and own it and not allow ourselves to be distracted. What has happened today is that we no longer burn women at the, at the stake, but we have not yet routed out of our consciousness in the West a suspicion onto powerful women. A projection of suspicion. Who is she? What does she plan to do with that power? It used to be, oh, she's a witch, she's a witch, she's a witch, burn her. Today, it's she's a bitch, spurn her. And I, I went through an experience of that on my presidential camp. I was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I want to talk, you know, more about that experience and, and that situation specifically related to that. I mean, it was painful to watch, you know, you fall that happened to you you know it's like okay it was kind of to be expected because the way in which we treat women in politics today but what was your experience that and how did you nurture yourself during that time because i'm sure that felt like well i think it's exhausting it's actually theoretically not okay to treat women that way anymore so why me yeah actually they did not treat the other female candidates that way yeah Mm. when you say it's to be expected but i have to be honest um martin luther king said um, in the final analysis, it is the silence of our friends that is worse than the words of our enemies. I was very hurt at the absence of defense among many people, including female colleagues. Because given the community that you guys are in, if I'm crazy, you're crazy. Well, 100%. So there was um, a silence from our community that was like, wow. Now, I also received a lot of financial donations and a lot of quiet support as well. But when all of that came down, she's anti-science, she's anti-medicine, she's dangerous, she's crazy, she's a grifter, all of which, even what they were saying about me, if it's true about me, it's true about you too. So anybody coming from any kind of a higher consciousness perspective, I'm sure you go to the doctor. I mean, when you, the whole thing is insane. Part of the feminist issue is sisterhood, which is not being quiet when, they're doing it to you. Um, there's a woman named Danielle Laporte. Do you know Danielle yes. Laporte's work? Well, Danielle had gone through something um, where she had been skewered about something on, on the internet. And she'd made a mistake, but she owned it. She totally owned it. So I didn't like the way people were coming down on her, and I defended her. And then they started in on me. It was pretty rough. But you know, during my campaign, she liked every Instagram, and I knew it was her own way of saying she was there for me. I'm going to be there. For her. I think that it's all part of the deep, the deep work that a lot of us are doing and asking. And how do do we need to go? And how superficial sometimes is our all this love, support, and compassion thing? Because if you see a sister being, you know, there were so many of my colleagues that I felt could have just done a video and saying, look. Forget the politics part. You might not support Mary Williamson mm-hmm. politically, but like I've known her for 30 years and like she's a decent person. A hundred percent. Yes. All I needed. That stuff would, that's, yes. see, that's why it's like running would have to be a certain armor for me, but just that personal stuff would, 
it would just be that would really hurt. Yeah, I uh, it's I I knew it was going to be bad. Yeah, but what I here for it's so weird to be hated for being someone that you're not. Oh yeah, I know. You know? Yeah, I mean, I've never. You're yeah, like that's it's, what's so it's weird about maddening. The you're you're talking about is the person actually I've been saying let's never be that. So. And then some people say, well, I'd say, well, name one time when I've ever said that or well, written that. And I'll say, well, it's on brand for you. And I'll say, you have no idea what my brand is. You've never read my books. You've never. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to uh, start playing any violins here, but you me what my experience was. And I think that um, there is a, it, it, there is a political media industrial complex. Oh, yes. And they think that they, it's this unbelievable elitism of, of whereas their worldview and their way of doing things got us into the ditch we're in, they had the audacity to say only they or someone that fits into their club is qualified to leave us out of, lead us out of the ditch. You know, I think um, in terms of our community and the kind of people that we're all involved with, there has been over the last few, well, even from the beginning of this particular higher consciousness, modern spirituality thing, a chronic disengagement from politics. I know. I want to talk about that next. Perfect. I never understood it. It never worked for me because there's no religious or spiritual tradition anywhere that gives anybody a pass on addressing the suffering of other sentient beings. And also, not only that, but suffering, you cannot have a serious spiritual conversation that does not include suffering. That's the whole point. Before there was the resurrection, there was the crucifixion. Before there was the journey to the promised land, there was slavery in Egypt. Before before Buddha started his journey to enlightenment, the whole thing began because he saw suffering and death and sickness for the first time. So this newfangled spirituality, which is really just this kind of neo-capitalist concoction, which leads a lot of people to be quiet at times, like I said earlier, be out of brand protection. Mm. We got to really look, you know, in our in any kind of growth, we have to look at our own shadows, right? And communities do too. So I think a lot of people want to re-enter uh, political involvement but they don't want to enter the toxicity they see something like what happened to someone like me they will look what happened to her that's why i wrote books like healing the soul of america uh uh politics of love uh why i've done my sister giant conferences but even then when people say uh yeah but look what happened to her my response to that is yeah but it wouldn't have happened to me if you had stood up for me more, because if you stood up for me more, I would have been in the third debate. And if I've gotten in the third debate, they would not have been able to stop me. And then they would have had the problem on their hands. They thought they would have on their hands if I got into the third debate, which is why somebody said, get her off the stage and their character assassination worked. So, and there are lessons for me there too, of course. Uh, some of the sloppy comments that gave would basically give them ammunition and also building of a campaign that would have been strong enough to to to, to withstand that tsunami. I'm not saying mm. I didn't have my own involvement there, but I certainly think for those who are interested in expanding uh, the conversation uh, within politics to be more enlightened, there's a lot for all of us to, to look at. Mm. It's a journey that we're all still on. Do you think that it has been so hard to uh, disassemble uh, this structure of, you know, the media 
coming after people who quote unquote threaten how they've always done it. Like, do you, do you see in world in which that does, I know you see it, but like, do you have hope for a near future world where that doesn't exist? Because I do think there is a, a large group of young people who really truly want to get involved, but feel like there is this veil that they won't be able to be heard because of these like old politics and structures. There are, um, there are political candidates saying what people want to hear, but mm-hmm. you have to support them. Right. You have to support them. You know, I didn't break through uh, the way I would have wished, but you know, either somebody will, or I will. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. not feeling direction in my heart if I'll ever run for anything again, but it could, it could have been different. It could have been different. And how easily people were duped. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, you yeah. have a situation. But yeah, do I see it happening? Absolutely, it will happen. But if if people who are, you know, even you talk about being young, a lot of young people didn't vote last time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of like the boomers did as well. I I, I certainly understand the boomers have to take a lot of responsibility, but so do millennials, because millennials did not really show up and vote in 16. So, and even in the primary season. So this isn't time to cast dispersion on any other group, but to ask ourselves what we might do. Yeah, you have the political power that you create. And, and that system that you just pointed to respects power. So, you know, if I had been able to raise more money, if I'd been able, if I'd had a better campaign, a lot of that's on me, but building a better campaign, right. it, it would have, they would have had to say, oh, okay. And once again, on me, I regret leaving when I left. Mm. I would have made it through New Hampshire. I would have gotten as many votes in New Hampshire as Tom Steyer and and um, uh, Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. That was the number that you have to leave because it's too humiliating to continue. I think that's a feminine versus masculine issue there. Oh. Uh, they were they were just like running. They weren't worried about stuff like that. That was very girl of me. Hundred percent. Right? So you know, it, 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 name a situation where there's not stuff for everybody to look at. Mm-hmm. Of course. And that's what's so, you know, beautiful about you and your process and being a part of this conversation to hear that. It's it's so powerful for me. And I do, I guess I just want to unpack a step further why people are so disengaged in politics. And a lot of it for me feels like a lot of the conversation and jargon is like almost parallels like the financial um and money conversation where it's like there's tons of information that's not really readily available to all demographics and people at all times. It feels like it's not for us because most of them are white men that are, you know, within politics. And I, it's just, I think with the increase of distractions that are available, it seems like it's way out of our reach to make change. I think you have been a breath of fresh air in that way. AOC has been a breath of fresh air in that way. Even Andrew Yang, Bernie's, you know, doing a good job there. But um, can we just explore a little bit further why you think people are so disconnected so they can identify ways in which they are disconnecting from politics? Because it's been convenient. It's not because the information's not there. Freaking Google it. Read a book. You know, this is this information has not been hidden. It's been inconvenient. And if you're in, this is how America so works. So true. If you're in the club in America, this is a wonderful place to be. And once you're in the club, the club is quite compassionate. You know, you get help. You get, yeah. you can fall down. Somebody's usually there to pick you up. The problem in America today is that not enough people can get in the club. 
That's the problem. So, and I don't think the average person, and I'm sure that this includes both of you, you don't want to feel that you create wealth and success at the expense of other people having a chance to. Now, the information has not been withheld from you that millions of American children go to school every day in schools, classrooms that don't even have the adequate school supplies with which to teach a child to read. And if a child cannot learn to read by the age of eight, their chances of high school graduation are drastically decreased and the chances of incarceration are drastically increased. They're just as smart as you. Mm-hmm. They have just as much God-given potential as you. But if by the age of eight years old, we don't give them the basics, it's like they're, you know, we talk about people being in lockdown right now. There are millions of people who've been in lockdown economically for a very long time. Mm. So I'm sorry, this information has not been kept from us. And that's why I, I talked about the children and I talked about a department of children and youth. Hey, you had a candidate talking about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So yes. We have really got to stop with they've withheld from us. Really? Mm-hmm. That's the victimhood. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, but if in that sense, that one's a convenient victimization. Mm-hmm. I just think the the idea of changing to a lot of people, a lot of people say they want to change. They're like, I'm down to change. Let me sign up for the program. Let me do the course. I'm down to change, become better, become more like her, become more like him. And then when it comes down to it, when it comes down to like systematic change, they're like, "Mm, no, I'm good. I'll sit over here. It's so true. You know, I was in a situation once where people kept saying, Uh, Well, you know, Marianne, people are afraid of change. People are afraid of change. And I remember saying, I'm afraid of things not changing. It's unnatural. Yeah. Nature, Mm -hmm. life change. Without change, there's no flexibility. Uh, Learning to go, you know, we talk about going with the flow. Well, if you go with the flow, you're you're changing all the time because the flow is always at the river. It is at a different point, right? And there's less compassion mm-hmm. when you don't change. Because when you see yourself yeah. changing all the time, you're like, oh, okay, I was that person last week. Yeah. And now I'm this person. Yes. And wow, I can change so quickly. Oh, wow, my mom is different now. Oh, wow, I have compassion for her. It's just a, I think it's like a compassion vortex. And I think the next step is for us to see America can change. Yes. And I think one of the ways in which your age versus my age, you know, every generation, the older you are, the more you know some things. The younger you are, the more you know other things. Every, every decade of life is like a room in a house. And until you're in that room, you don't know that room. And you can't be in the room you used to be in anymore. You know the room you're in, but it's all one big mansion. And there's so much that we can inform each other about. So one of the things that I have as a woman older than you is that I remember a time when it was not like this. Mm. I remember a time when it wasn't so freaking cutthroat. I remember a time when I was in my 20s when you couldn't have, you could ha- not have much money, but you could still like make it and be about life yes. and stuff. Yeah. And you ha- it wasn't just so hard for the average person. And it was a time when we knew enough to guffaw at the idea that government was, was, was on the side of people who were basically taking all the resources for themselves. We would have laughed. Hmm. And now you guys are growing up in a time where it's uh, you've never known it to not be like this, where health insurance companies and, and uh, big pharmaceutical companies and gun manufacturers and food companies and agricultural companies and oil and gas companies and, and defense contractors, they're like this corporate aristocracy. They get theirs first, okay? 
But then after they have this major transfer of gargantuan wealth, then hey guys, go at it. Have a good time. And I want it. Go, you want to know how even darker it is than that? It looks at people like the two of you and says, "Oh, we want you." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because you're good looking and you're attractive. You got it going on. We like you. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're going to even we're going to actually open it up for you. Now, this is not uh, on every level even conscious systems. Just like in our own lives, when we're messing up, we're not conscious. We, who, when I think of the days that I, I've uh, uh, that I have made the biggest mistakes in my life. I didn't wake up that day intending to be a jerk, intending to do something really stupid and self-destructive and self-sabotaging. You know, your neurotic patterns, by definition, they're unconscious. That's the whole point. Same with the system. Our economic system is not about a bunch of rich people who are mean and greedy bastards. Not every rich person is a greedy bastard. Not every poor person is noble and pure. Our economic system is so immoral in its consequences, not because it's people sitting there every day figuring out how to harm indigenous tribes. It's simply people who think it's not their responsibility to have to think one way or the other about what they're doing to indigenous tribes. It's an amoral system. It's not that it's an immoral, it's an amoral system that has immoral consequences. And if American women aren't going to stand up and say, wait, this is, this is not working, <laughs> then who is? So look at the coronavirus. The, we have a healthcare system that was, is not set up to care for the many. And as a consequence, this, it's not just Trump, it's the whole system. He just happened to be bought into that system. And so we lost all those weeks. And now the coronavirus doesn't care if you're Democrat, Republican, white, brown, black, rich, poor. So we're beginning to realize, as I've been saying for so long, every public issue will ultimately make its way to your private door. We must evolve now from it's all about me to it's all about us. We must, or we will not survive. That's the evolutionary leap that all of us must, and people such as yourself, must lead now. You want to know what what turning 30 means? You become a leader now. That's what it means to become a woman or to become a man. Mm. Enter into the phase of your life where you're the adults now. Beautiful. I think too... um you know, we talk about the healing that needs to happen as a collective and being leaders coming into our 30s. Do you think that healing should start by going within and getting quiet and then be exercised externally in community? Or how should people think about healing? Yeah, I saw a piece of graffiti once that said, uh, to be is to do Hegel. To do is to be Schopenhauer. Doobie, doobie, do. From a spiritual perspective, the being, the state of being precedes right doing because until it, it, it's also Gandhi said that that self-purification precedes direct political action when you meditate in the morning you literally have a different uh, nervous system so just like you take a bath or take a shower to get yesterday's dirt off your body right now if we don't meditate in the morning if we don't give our lives to to spirit of whatever of our understanding in the morning if we don't bring our nervous systems into alignment with a higher sense of identity and purpose and mission which we all share then our attitudes our reactions it's like when i was talking before about the times when i've I've spent so much time thinking back on mistakes i've made in my life Mm. Did I not meditate that morning? 
did I not? There's one, for instance, that I remember a meeting I went into and I just was so negative. I just wasn't, I was uncool. And of course people were repelled. And I thought about it later and I remembered you didn't pray before you went into that meeting. Mm. You didn't pray and, and send your love to everyone who was going to be there. Right. You you didn't set your, you know, it's kind of like the 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 Olympic athletes trainer who says, see the move. Before you go into a meeting, send your love before you go. Send your love, your blessing. You guys, you know, that you love me before I, I got here. For me to love you before we get here, it's going to be a different podcast. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> a different podcast, your brain. So, and so I thought about that. I thought you didn't, it, 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 and you talk about being practical. Prayer is practical. You know, sometimes I would say to people, well, did you give the situation to God? And they would answer, oh, no, I know it's in God's hands. I said, that's not my question. Did you literally stop and, and pray? Because remember, we talked about it before. The ego is a, is a mindset, and we're, we're, it's our mental mindset that we're all habituated to go into anger, to go into separation, to go into fear, to go into defensiveness, to go into what can I get? So enlightenment is an unlearning of one thought system and substituting a thought system based on love instead. But it's practical. And if the times I look at mistakes, I go, I didn't meditate that morning, or I didn't pray before I went in, or I knew that I had an attitude about that guy. I didn't surrender it before I went into the meeting. Mm. So no one said something that... He could subconsciously feel. Hello. So, in a way, our spiritual activism is very practical. In the Course in Miracles, it says over and over, "This is a practical." And it's free. Cleaning out your head. Cleaning out your head is is as practical as cleaning out your closet. (laughs) And we forget to because we think, you know, I'm I'm speaking. We I'm just speaking from my experience. Like sometimes I think I need to bring that into the room in order to get my point across, in order to speak from a place of my own experience, I'm thinking about you when you were running for president. Like, would you send, would you send love to the other candidates who had maybe like run smear campaigns against mm-hmm. you? Like, was that part of your tactics yeah, well, first too? First of all, just for to make sure we're clear, the other candidates were not the problem. And the vast majority of them were really, really nice people. Mm. The system that does all that is not the candidates for the most part. Mm-hmm. I was not That's a good at clarification. that yeah. No, no candidates were afraid of me, to be honest. But the larger system was afraid of me and wanted me off the stage. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. So, but where, did I lo- send love to the voters? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the one that I, the one is in charge of all that towards whom I still have some ego resentment, I do surrender my resentment to God. Mm. I do. Because the Course in Miracles says you can have a grievance or you can have a miracle. You cannot have both. Mm. And another thing about spiritual principle there, the moment, this is so intense from the Course in Miracles. So the Course in Miracles says you are not created to be the effect of lovelessness from yourself or from others. Pure love is not at the effect of lovelessness. So anytime either you do something loveless to yourself or someone does something loveless to Mm. you, the universe, the moment it happens, it's like a GPS. So if a miracle of love, the next step of perfection was denied you, the universe immediately readjusts and recalibrates. The universe is set up to 
to adjust, to, re- to uh, reorganize. Self-correct. But mm-hmm. if you hold on to a grievance or a judgment or victimization, you are actually deflecting the miracle that would otherwise happen. So that's where, the, where you have to be in a difference between describing something and being in self-pity around it. It's these like little nuances that could mm-hmm. make all oh, the difference. Really important. I the know. Says, the Course in Miracles says that you pay a very high price for not taking 100% responsibility for your life experience. The, uh, the price you pay is that you will not be able to change it. Mm. Beautiful. And I knew that when I got out of the race that the biggest, biggest thing I needed to avoid was self-pity. Mm. I feel like you're so good at that. I feel like that's your like, you're so amazing and not self-pity well, and empowerment. I'm, I'm good at knowing the principle simply because I've been totally. reading them for so many years. Yeah. In terms of getting getting all there on a couple of these things, I would, I'm not 100% there yeah. yet. Yeah. But because of that human, you know, we're human and it's, you know, that's, that's the meaning of the three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three days means the symbolic time it takes from the time you know these things as an abstract concept to the time in which your cells have really drunk it in. Mm. And for you, just last question for me, what's bringing you joy right now? Like what is making you feel joyful? In the middle of this coronavirus pandemic, I'm not sure that I've had any joyful mm. moments. Mm. I've had happy moments, though. I'm uh, here with an old friend. Uh, we're having some, you know, I'm watching The Crown on Netflix, <laughs> uh, you know, talking to people I love. But uh, it's okay that this is not a joyous time. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important message you mentioned earlier, just like this need to be happy. Mm-hmm. Even talking to like my little brother, who's like 24, I'm like, you know, He's just like I want. I just want to be happy, and I think that's what creates you really, like, depression. Right. Yeah, you really. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. When you think how many people are suffering right now, yeah, yeah. It's just um, it's it's such a thing that's place that we've poured over everything. Yes, because I think a lot of people equate being happy with being successful. And being, you know, mm-hmm. having status in some way. So um, I just think that's really important. Um, my last question is, um, what are you, what is your prayer right now? Mm. My prayer is for all those people who are sick, for all those mm. doctors, for all those nurses, for all those people who are working to save people. My prayer is gratitude and praise to all of them and that they get their respirators and get their ventilators. And my prayer is for the people who are grieving, the people who are sick, the people who are scared, the people who are hungry, the people who don't know how they're going to pay their rent. Uh, my, my prayer, and my prayer is that we learn from this and that we transform from this and that we go to a better place on the other side of this. And my prayer is that something I say or do might in some way be helpful. Mm. Amen. Prayer answered. You've helped us so much. Thank you yeah, so thank much. Thank you so kindly. And your new book, A Politics of Love, is out now among so many among other the timeless best, books, the best books in the world of all time. <laughs> Honestly. And I just feel like, yeah, it's hopefully you can add to your library out there, you know, um, in any way, even if it's just pieces of a return to love or any of your other books. I just feel like, you know, hearing hearing your words at this time is so healing. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's yeah. an honor to meet both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, You're we're so, so welcome. welcome. Thank you, Marianne. We'll see you soon, Marianne. Have a good rest of your day. Be well. Bye. 
Thank you so much to Marianne and her team for coordinating that for us and for sharing some of that inspiring, grounding, and nourishing information with us today. Yeah, so timely. I hope I hope that really gave you a little sense of peace, maybe a sense of self and knowing. Uh, you can find Marianne on Instagram at Marianne Williamson. And again, she has so many books, so many resources. Some of our favorites are Return to Love, A Politics of Love, The Law of Divine Compensation, On Work and Money Miracles. It's really so, so useful. Um, and thank you all for subscribing on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. It helps when you write a review as well. Um, we have a review of the week. This is from Gabs, five stars. The journey and growth of these two gals has been so wonderful to experience. They're true light leaders and way showers in their own unique way. And they're able to do so with humor, which is so needed right now. They're sharing medicine through their honesty and just putting it all out there. Such an inspiration. Dude, help me. Thank Jesus you. Christ. Thank you so much. Like, what? <laughs> Tell my mom that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being a part of our community. We have thousands and thousands of you all over the world that connect through Instagram to support one another or through our secret Facebook group, which you can find on Facebook. We have ambassador communities um, that meet digitally right now to support one another during this time. Um, and then we also have the inner peace program, which we would love to support you in your quest for peace in the peace that you deserve. And then we have our new paradigm digital series, which will be happening over the next two months on Saturday with some amazing thought leaders. You can find more information at almost30podcast.com. We cannot wait to support you and connect with you. <sighs> We love you very much. Thank you for sharing with your friends. I'm at It's Krista on Instagram. And I'm at Lindsay Simsick. We will see you next time. We love you. Bye. <laughs>